We have been in a series this summer, just like we have for the last couple of summers, actually looking at what we call history makers. And uh, these are people, Christians, who through the generations have inspired us. And this morning, we're going to be inspired by the life of someone called Dwight Lyman Moody, otherwise known as D.L. Moody. Now, he has a remarkable life. And uh, these guys have set up some props for me uh, behind, because what I'm going to try and do even in the very short time that we've got, is try and give you almost like five stories from D.L. Moody's life which we can learn something from, okay? Which we can get a lesson from. And uh, I don't know whether it's like this in your house or not, but sometimes when we're going out for dinner, Philippa and I can have a little bit of an argument about where to go, okay? I'll really want to go for a Chinese, and she'll really want to go for an Indian, or she'll really want to go for an Italian, or I really want to go for like ribs and chips, right? So, what we loved was a few years ago when we found one of these buffet restaurants. Now, it's actually shut down now, but over in Milton Keynes, which did every kind of food. It kind of had both the Mexican and the Italian. It had the Indian and the Chinese. And it was this enormous buffet. And if you wanted to, you could just go and get one particular nation's dish. Or, if you preferred, you could have a little bit of everything. Now, today's talk is going to be a little bit like that. Okay? I'm going to put these five things in front of you, and it might well be that one of, one of them, you think, wow, that's the thing for me, and you just have that one dish. Or it might be that there's two, three, four, or even five where you think, actually, I need to go away and spend some time with God thinking about each one of them. But be released, okay? Because I'm trusting that God's going to speak to us through his life. Should we pray for a moment? Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, we thank you for your presence here by your spirit. Lord, and we honor you and what you're doing here. And we, God, pray that we would be open today to come and have a banquet. Lord, we want to listen and be inspired by this incredible servant of yours. And though it was many years ago, Father, we recognize the lessons that we can learn are fresh and they're anointed by you. So come be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so D.L. Moody was born into a farmer's family, okay? Very poor background in the year 1837 in a place called Northfields in Massachusetts. And he had a very large family, kind of 11 brothers and sisters, but when he was just age five, he had to drop out of school because of the fact that his father died, which meant that he had to be one of the people who was working on the farm. So he was very poor, he had no education, he had no father. Came actually from a very difficult background. But when he was 17, he decided he wanted to leave the farm and move away to Boston. And it was in Boston where he was looking for a job and went to his uncle, who happened to live and work in a shoe shop. Now, what I'm going to try and do is use these five things. We've got boots, we've got apples and sweets, uh, a, a Nerf gun and umbrella, some coal and a box. These are my props, all right? So, what he did was he, he started working for his uncle in a shoe shop. And it was in that shoe shop that his life would be radically changed. You see... What happened, though, was that when he said to his uncle, hey, I want to I work for you, can I? What he said to him was, well, you can work for me on four conditions. The first condition, that he didn't drink. And so DL thought to himself, well, my dad actually died from drinking too much, so I'm not going to do that. The second condition is that he didn't smoke. Now, he didn't have any money, so that was fine. Third condition was that he didn't have chewing tobacco, which he didn't like the taste of anyway, so that was fine. But the fourth condition was the most tricky one, but he had to go to church every single day week. So just to say parents, bribery works, all right? So, um, so he went along and started his job in the shoe shop. And then when he was in church, his youth leader was called, a gentleman called Edward Kimball, who immediately had a, a liking for DL and really wanted to, really wanted to help him. 
And there was one particular occasion when uh, Edward Kimball, his youth leader, came into the shop, into the shoe shop where DL was working, and he simply asked him a very direct question. He whispered a few kind words of encouragement and said this. He said, son, the Lord Jesus loves you. He died for you, and if you don't ask Jesus into your heart, you're going to die in your sins and spend eternity in hell. Will you not give your heart to Jesus? See, now the question pierced DL right to the heart. He was like, wow, this is an incredible thing. So he, in the, on the back store cupboard in this shoe shop, knelt down, and there in the shop was converted and gave his heart to Jesus. So, and he says, the morning I was converted, I went outdoors and I fell in love with the bright sun shining over the earth. I never loved the sun before, and when I heard the birds singing their sweet songs, I fell in love with the birds. D.L. came to Christ in the April of 1855, and his conversion triggered this incredible start of a career as an evangelist with a real desire to share and demonstrate the love of Christ. He said this, if he had laid down his life for us, speaking of Jesus, is it not the least that we can do to lay down our lives for him? If he bore the cross and died on it for me, ought I not to be willing to take up mine for him? So the first question that I want us to be thinking about this morning is this. On our shoe shop, okay? Let's see if this is going to work. Have we personally and individually given and laid our lives down for Jesus Christ? First question. Now, part two, okay? Point two. Having moved impulsively then onto Chicago as a Christian, DL gave himself to living for and demonstrating God's love. Now, he joined a band, okay? And in this band, and I'm thinking, Karen, it's like the first missional community known, but this particular band simply went out on Sunday mornings to go around the pubs, around the saloons, in order to distribute tracks and invite people along to church services. And it was through this ministry that DL came into contact with some of the very poorest parts of Chicago. They were places which were absolutely destitute, conditions were atrocious, the sorts of places, actually, it's written, that police wouldn't even go there because it was so dangerous in some of these slums. And so they simply turned a blind eye to the murder and the mayhem that was happening. But DL's heart was broken especially actually for the young children that he saw living there, because many of them were in incredible need, they didn't have clothes on their backs, and what would happen is that he would see the, the bodies of the parents laying around, drunk on whiskey, and the kids did not have food to eat themselves. And so he was compelled to do something else. And so the first thing that he did was he got connected to a Sunday school, and this Sunday school was, had no particular kids in it, but he wanted to start gathering them. And so he would do anything that he could in order to gather the children to come to the Sunday school. And so he prayed hard and then started walking around the roads where these drunken men and women were kind of laying around. And he would simply attract crowds by doing pony rides or he would give out apples and sweets. He would just give out candy. And see, the, the, the crowd that he gathered, then he would start to say, oh, look, you know, you can have a great time by coming and listening to some stories. You can have a great time. I'm going to tell you some things that are going to change your life simply by giving out free gifts. And by the way, kids, I'm going to put three baskets like this out of the back. So you'd be welcome to grab some sweets or an apple at the end, okay? So 
he would be giving out these things, and he realized that he had quite a gifting for it. So initially, there were about 50 people who started gathering to him, then about 100, and then 200, and before too long, there were 1,000 kids. And DL just thought, I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a good salesman, right? And so he just went out, and he gathered more children. There was one occasion, one story, where he, he saw a young boy who looked a little bit ragged, and he shouted down the corridor to this boy, hey, do you want some candy? And the boy shouted, no. Do you want some, an, an apple? The boy shouted, no. So DL chased him and tried and grabbed hold of his arm, at which the boy dragged away, ran off. So DL chased down this particular lad. He was kind of running after him, and he went into a saloon. Now, it turns out that in this particular saloon, the boy's dad owned the pub. Now, suddenly, things got very aggressive, because realizing it was DL, the pub owner started shouting and saying, you're the one who's taken everyone from spending money out of my pub picks up a knife and starts running after DL. Now, what DL describes is that as he was running away with this guy with the knife, he has the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And he turns around and, and says, the Holy Spirit says to him, DL, what about his soul? And so DL turns around and says, hey, you've got to kill me in a minute, but I have to tell you that the Lord Jesus loves you, died for you, Ask him to come into your life or you'll die in your sins. Wow. And, this, and this pub landlord kneels down on his knees and gives his life to Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? Now, what I particularly like about that story is that it goes on to say that actually this, person, this guy who then shut down his pub and later became a preacher and the son then took over the church that he used to preach in. Incredible. Now, now someone running after a knife, that's incredible. All right, so DL, though, in the midst of this, started realizing that he needed to do more than simply get people to a meeting. He wanted to do more and actually introduce people personally to Jesus so that they know that people can have a relationship with him. We are told, DL says, to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anyone about it. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. Um, see, Moody, in the midst of these interactions, had this incredible heart for the poor. It was children and adults alike. His incredible heart for those who were disadvantaged and uh, without uh, physical possessions. He even put a sign over his first church that said this, Always welcome in this house of God are strangers and the poor. Don't we want that to be true of here as well? Always welcome in this house of God are strangers and the poor. So our second question, which we're going to put up here, is this, what is our attitude to the poor, okay? What is our attitude? The reality, guys, is that at this time, many of the other churches didn't want anything to do with the poor. They didn't want anything to do with it. It was DL who stood up and said, actually, this is someone, these are people who God has called us to reach. All right, third one. We're going to go for the umbrella and our Nerf gun. All right, so DL has then been has then been championed and realized that he really wants to be able to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ as far and as wide as he can. And so he makes a vow, and the vow to God is like this. He said that he would never go a single day without telling someone about Christ. So he wasn't talking about preaching. He wasn't talking about public uh, communication in terms of the, uh, the, the kind of upfront stadium type stuff. He was talking about personally in the store, in the uh, marketplace, on the street, he would personally tell someone about Christ every single day, which is an incredible provocation. 
But DL tells the story of the fact that actually it was very late one evening, somewhere close to midnight. It was a Saturday night, and he realized that he hadn't told anyone about Jesus that particular day. So he thought, man, what am I going to do? And he started bargaining with God. Hey, God, I'll tell five people tomorrow. Do I have to get up now? But the Holy Spirit was just nudging him. No, no, no. You said every single day. So he gets out of his bed, and it's throwing it down with rain. So he takes his umbrella, and he um, begins to walk the streets of Chicago looking for someone who might need help. And it describes how he sees this young man just sitting, getting absolutely drenched on the street, and he goes over and takes the umbrella to put over his head. It describes in one of these books that I read that sometimes you have to show people how much you love them before they can hear how much Jesus loves them. That was profound, actually. Now, he, he said to this man, hey, uh, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? He replied, hey, look, it's none of your business. And D.L. DL Moody's response was, actually, that's the only business that I've got now. So, so, we, begin to, so we began to ask him and say, like, no, hey, do you know where you're going to spend, spend eternity? Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Tears began to run down this boy's face because he was on his way to Chicago River to throw himself in. But instead, he knelt down in the street in the pouring rain with an umbrella on his head and gave his life to Jesus. Incredible. See, Moody was giving his life to share the gospel. And he would always want to take the gospel to those most in need. Now, around about that time, in kind of the 19th century, around about 1860, there was a civil war that broke out in America. Now, I'm afraid this isn't the only the closest that I can get to a, a kind of Civil War U.S. rifle. You know, it's a Nerf Vortex, I think it's called. Anyway, so what DL was looking for, though, was opportunities to share with people who were most in need. And so what he would do is he wanted to get connected with those who were going out to battle, realizing that in truth, they might not have another opportunity of hearing about Jesus. And so he would preach to the soldiers, he would preach to the wounded, and he would even preach to those from the other side who were sent to be prisoners in the kind of camps after they'd been taken hostage. So he was on the battlefield, and I'm talking about frontline stuff, on nine different occasions, under fire, and he was just traveling amongst the wounded, asking, are you a Christian? Determined to see every dying soldier have the opportunity of receiving Jesus. Now, as far as DL was concerned, the best outcome from this whole war was the fact that there was this new um, openness to the gospel, and everyone that he came in contact with, he would just use whatever means he could to be able to share with them the love of Jesus. Now, because of his brash and somewhat unorthodox fashion like this, he was given the nickname Crazy Moody. And uh, even among other Christians, they would call him Crazy Moody. And to be honest with you, he didn't like it. He, He wasn't keen on that nickname. However, what he was convinced about is that proclaiming the gospel was something that he had committed to do. And so whether people were going to call him crazy or not, he would go for it. Now, one provocation, I think, for us in the midst of this is that with DL's utter dedication to sharing the love of Jesus, I would want to ask us this. Are we doing all that we can, being provoked by DL's life to be able to reach and love on everyone who actually is made part of a church and doesn't know how good our God is. All right, number four is this. See, D.L. Moody also had some very difficult situations in his life, okay? And I'm not going to list loads of them other than one. So this bag of coal right here is that there were occasions when D.L. came across incredible fires, So in 1968, it's listed that 
He, there were two fires that he needed to respond to. The first of which, in 1968, was just before a prayer meeting. And what happened was that a fire had started in his church building. And of course, what happens in those days, there was no insurance, as it were. And so people would suddenly kind of dash around trying to rescue the furniture, trying to rescue the books, trying to do whatever they can to, to take out whatever they could see around them. But DL, even though the, the kind of wind was coming off Lake Michigan and fanning these flames, the whole building was going to come down. DL didn't actually respond. In fact, he started shouting to other people, hey, put that box down. Leave those books there. Come and gather with me. And he went very quickly to another building. And in this other building, he started a prayer meeting. And so his response in the midst of his church building, falling and you know, going down in flames, was simply that he would pray and that he would seek God's face. And it's, it describes how, as the hall burned, the gathered group, many of them weeping and praying, but before that meeting was over, participants who were praying and businesses started to rally around and they had thousands of dollars in order to build a bigger and a better building. Wow. An incredible story of someone under pressure deciding to choose God and pray. One of the quotes that I loved was this. Some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking, but the way to trouble God is not to come to him at all. There was actually this other fire just around the corner there. You might have even heard of it in some, one of your history classes, the Great Fire of Chicago of 1871. Now, when this fire started and all the engines started to come and all the alarms started to go off, D.L. Moody was actually preaching. And uh, he was preaching unbeknownst to him that the fire had started elsewhere in Chicago. And he said to his uh, kind of visitors, those who were sitting, listen to him, he said, look, I want you to take this week to think about, to evaluate your relationship with Christ. And when you come back next week, many of you are going to make a decision to follow him. Now this fire was raging and it actually wiped out a huge amount of that city. And uh, one of the biggest uh, carnages I think that's ever been known in terms of a fire in a place like that. That group therefore never regathered. And D.L. made a decision that day that he was never going to miss an opportunity to be able to give people an invitation again to respond to Christ. The question that I want us to consider in the midst of D.L.'s life is this. Where do we go in times of trouble? Where do we go? When, when the, the, the tough stuff happens, when the fire hits, as it were, is our first response actually to go to Jesus, to connect with him and to get his perspective on things, realizing that he has all the answers. The final thing, guys, is this. DL, with his commitment now to always give people the opportunity, he became someone who would then travel across the United States and actually, incredibly, all, all over the UK as well. He was a terrible traveler, but he would kind of commit to the months that he would have to go back and forth on some of these boats simply because he felt God's call to bless this nation as well. And he would do these missions in whatever way, shape, and form they can. And he'd met this friend of his, a guy called Ira Sankey. And uh, Ira was a, was a gospel singer, and uh, as soon as DL heard him, he was like, you've got to come with me, because I want you to sing, and you're going to sing, and I'm going to preach. It's going to be this dream team combination. So that's what they did. And so what DL would do was simply put a box. It would almost be a, like, a, like a crate. He would put it out in whatever situation they were in, whether they were in big halls or whether they were on the streets. Ira would sing, and then people from factories and people from the streets would just gather around, hear this incredible voice, and then DL would preach the gospel, and many people would come to know Christ. 
Now, what was interesting was that this really upset lots of local pastors. In fact, one quote uh, said this. Many pastors complained that it didn't seem right to sing lively music in church, and the idea of accompanying the singing with an organ was the most modern, ungodly notion. <laughs> I, would, I would hate to think what they think of us right now. Um, now, one of the missions, and there were so many of them, but one of the missions that particularly grabbed me was when he went to Cambridge. Ira and DL were trying to do their thing, but the students that had gathered, hundreds of them, were incredibly disruptive. And they were loud, they were jeering, and they were just kind of un unhelpful in the midst of it. But DL's response was remarkable. Knowing that he was going to be there all week, he gathered um, 150 mothers from Cambridge. And he asked them, I want you to pray for these individual students as if they were your own children. DL then went on to marvel what a difference that week of prayer had made. At the end of his sermon, DL said to the crowd, I shall never forget this week, though I'm, you may forget me. I thank God that I came to Cambridge. And at the end of the meeting, Ira stood up and he sang this song which went just as I am without one plea. And DL asked those who had made a commitment to respond to Jesus to stand. Hundreds of people stood and tears gathered in DL's eyes as he looked out on the young people before him and he murmured to himself, my God, this is enough for me. Oh, so I just thought it was so powerful. You know, for so many of us here, the key question perhaps is, is what are we living for? What is the thing that we're giving ourselves to, to honestly say, this is enough for me? I know for me, Someone who loves to see lives changed. Knowing individuals and relationships and people that I've seen take that journey and come into a relationship with God, I know it's enough. Let me close by saying this, okay? Some have said that DL was the greatest evangelist of all time. In this period of about, about 40 years, estimates suggest that he won more than a million souls for Christ. He founded three Christian schools, which I haven't touched on. He launched a Christian publishing business. He established a world-renowned conference center, and he inspired thousands of preachers, many of which I think actually you would have heard of, to win souls and conduct revivals and travel all over the world as missionaries. Well, Moody died with his family gathered around him after a brief illness in the December of 1899. And today, I've just done my best to give you five highlights of his life, so it seems fitting to end with DL's words. He said this, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? <laughs> At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I have gone up higher, out of this clay body, into a house that is immortal. A body that death cannot touch. That sin cannot taint. A body fashioned into his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. He finishes by saying, death may be the king of terrors, but Jesus is the king of kings. Isn't that incredible? Should we stand together for a moment? Should we stand together for a moment?
Let us just pray for a moment, hey? Father, it's men and women like D.L. Moody that we can point to and just say, God, we're so grateful for the impact of their lives and the inspiration that they still have today, 200 years later. And Father God, we want to pray, Lord, for both evangelists, but God, that this church and the church is even represented here, Lord, would be stirred, would be captivated, would be engulfed, God, with the vision that you have individually and corporately for us, such that we would know a nation changed and transformed. And so, Father God, right across this room, Father, I pray that there will be penetrating questions that live with people for the rest of the day. Lord, whether people are asking whether they've truly laid their life down for Christ, what their attitude is to the poor, to the disenfranchised, to those who, who struggle in so many ways. Father, what we can do as a church community and as individuals to connect with those who are far from you. God, we want to see people saved and added through this town and right across this nation, Lord. And we want to pray, God, that in our times of trouble, just as D.L. Moody so incredibly did, Lord, that we would come running to you. God, we know that's the right place to go. And so I pray that even today, Lord, that people who are here thinking I'm facing such difficult circumstances, the fire of my life, God, that you would encourage them to come running, bounding to you. And Father, I pray that for each of us, God, that we would not give our time to those things that don't matter. But ultimately, God, that we would pursue and that we would choose you as the thing that we are living for, to honor, to serve, to enjoy. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.